0: All right, we're going to go ahead and continue into the book of James. This is James chapter 3, but we're still in book 1. I'm pretty sure, well, I'm positive we're going to finish the first book today, and we'll probably get about halfway through um, James chapter 2, I think. Um, I also thought we were going to do James chapter 1 the first week, so we'll see how that goes. Praise God. But we're going to do just a recap of last week. Last week we looked at um, how we're supposed to have a right view of ourselves, right? And what what that means is that we don't look at ourselves in a worldly sense. We don't look at ourselves and how the world sees, but we look at our, ourselves and how we are in Jesus, right? And you remember what he said? He said that the the uh, the, the the poor, the the lowly, should be should should take pride and what Jesus has done for them. And those who are rich and, and powerful, they should take pride in their humility, recognizing that everything that they have is not of their own, but what Jesus did in them. And then the poor can rejoice in what Jesus has done in them, because he's proving to them that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they are powerful and strong and mighty in him. And that we're supposed to view ourselves in light of what Jesus has done in us, right? Amen. We also looked at the importance of standing steadfast under trial. I believe that as a church we've been going through some trials, but as we remain steadfast, we're going to see breakthrough. I think we're going to start to see God doing some amazing things in this church, and not only in this church, but with the surrounding churches in this community, we're going to see God move like we've probably not seen him move in a long time. We're going to see salvations. We're going to see people coming to know Jesus. You know, in the book of Acts, and is what we were praying for this morning, But in the book of Acts, it says that there was thousands being added to their number daily, as many as were being saved. I want to see thousands getting saved every day. I want to see lives getting changed. We also looked at temptation, right? Anybody ever been tempted? I've been tempted. But we looked at where that comes from. Temptation doesn't come from God. God's not trying to test you. The enemy puts thoughts in your mind, or you you kind of forget who you are, and you remember that old stuff. And The temptations aren't from God, but they're from the enemy. But how many know temptations aren't the issue? It's okay to be tempted. How do I know that? Because Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but he lived without sin. So temptation is not sin. It's what you do with that temptation. So we were reminded to take every thought captive. When it comes in your head, just deal with it. Get rid of it. Move on. But it's when we let it linger, when it begins to mature, and it, it conceives and then gives birth to sin. But let's not deal with it. Let's, let's, let's recognize that temptation and just push it away and move forward. Amen? And we also looked about at the gifts of God, right? We looked at all gifts that are from God are good. So if the gift is good, it's from God, even if it, if it may not seem good, because if it's from God, it's good no matter what it is. But we also learned that, that uh, gifts from the enemy may seem good, but if they're from the enemy, they're bad, right? Because the scripture says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich. But I mean, the, the devil wants to bless people, too, to make them think that they're going on. He's going to do things in their life to keep them trapped, to keep them under, under, under his, his thumb and his, his oppression. And then finally, we looked at that we're actually the first fruits of his creation, right? We are, we are our, our brothers, so Jesus was the first, and we are his brother. And God was active in our creation, but he's also active in our rebirth in his, in his son, amen? So that's the recap. So this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue in James chapter 1, 19 through 21. And he says, let me turn this off. But don't turn this fan off while I'm preaching in the recording. All you hear is, <laughs> and it's really loud and annoying. He says, in James 1, 19 through 21, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Have you guys noticed today that people today are completely the opposite than that? I mean, we read this and we're like, that's foreign. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. I mean, in today's society, everyone is quick to speak and very slow to hear. They don't want to hear what you're saying because in this society we're being developed and, and from the day that we're born we're, we're being taught by the media and, and by the government and everything else that you've got to look out for number one. You're the only thing that matters. You've got to pay attention to yourself because if you don't look out for you, who's going to do it? And we don't hear what anyone else is saying because whose opinion matters? Just mine. Just mine. My opinion's the one that matters. So we don't listen to what anybody else has to say. And we're quick to speak, though, because you guessed that our opinion's the only one that matters. So we're just going to tell everybody it's the only thing that matters. We don't want to hear what they're saying. And we're, we're quick to speak instead of slow to speak. And we're slow to hear instead of quick to hear. And then instead of being patient with people, we anger at them because what? Our opinion, our comment, our thoughts are the only one that matters. And heaven forbid somebody have a different thought than you. Matter of fact, we live in a society that is teaching us that if we don't agree with you, then we don't love you. And that's a sad place to be. You don't have to agree with people to love them. There are plenty of things that people do that I don't agree with, but I can still love them. My kids do dumb stuff all the time, but I still love them. And I'm sure they think the same thing about us. Like They do stuff that, that we do stuff that they don't like but they still love us. They don't have to agree with us to love us. And we don't have to agree with people to love them either. And I wish the world would understand that even though we don't agree with some of the things that we do, it doesn't mean we don't love them. And we don't want more for them. And we don't want the best for them. Because as Christians, that's how we should live. It's in loving people. But we live in such a me-focused society. Look out for number one. As long, as long as it makes you happy. Anybody ever heard that expression? That's just dumb. There's a lot of things that, that people feel like it makes them happy, and one, they're either deceived into it. I mean, look at all the people that get they get hooked on drugs, and it ruins their life, because in the beginning, it made them happy. But by the end, it's completely destroyed their life, and it's with everything that, that gives an addiction. Or about the people that... That's, you know, that spend money, you know, they're, 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 they're taking part in retail therapy. They've got something going on in their life, so they just pull out the credit card and swipe, swipe, swipe. Because it makes them happy, but it's not doing anything for them. But we live in such a society that's focused on you, they figure if it makes you happy, it must be good to go. Just go ahead and do it. And then he starts talking about, we need to be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. See, this kind of anger that he's talking about, this is a bad kind of anger. How I many you know that all anger is not bad? There is such thing as a righteous anger. And that's the anger we feel towards sin and those kind of things or the atrocities of this world. That's the, anger, the kind of anger that God feels because God gets angry at stuff that's going on in the world. But he's good. He's light. He's perfect. He's pure. So there has to be a kind of anger that is okay, that is, that is righteous. But he's talking about the kind of anger that we have that's focused on us. You know, we get, we get mad at people because they got a raise and we didn't. They got a promotion and we didn't. That's not righteous anger. We get mad at people at, at treating somebody better than us or vice versa. And, and, and this is the kind of anger, and, and this is just minor stuff. There's anger that will eat you up in your heart and your soul and it will tear you apart. This is where unforgiveness comes from. Somebody does something that offends us and we get angry at them. And they don't even know. They're living their life like nothing's ever happened, but it's eating us up inside. That's the kind of anger that we need to put away. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And then he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. You know, the the filthiness and rampant wickedness, that's who you were. That's who you used to be. Did you know when you got saved, you have a brand new spirit, a miracle took place, you were not who you used to be. You are a brand new creation, a new creature. All that stuff, the the filthiness and the rampant, that's who you used to be. We need to stop pretending that we are someone who we aren't. Because when you were born again, something happened inside of you. And I understand, for some of us, it takes longer than others. Some people get saved and their life is flipped upside down in an instant. Mine wasn't. I got saved and nobody could tell except for slow changes as I move forward. And I grew. But the thing was, is is once I got well and truly saved, there was a change. There was a moving forward. You could see that there was a difference. Every day, I was becoming more like Christ. The reality of who I was on the outside was catching up to the truth of who I was on the inside. And that's what we need to remember, is that who we are now is different than who we were when we got saved. We need to put that stuff behind us and beside us. And then he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know, we receive what God says. We understand as he tells us the plan of salvation. And it says, receive it with meekness. Did you guys know meekness isn't a bad thing? Probably the best way to describe meekness is some people, you know, it's it's like being humble. But probably more, uh, a better description, I think, particularly in this case, is, is being submissive. And you can be submissive. You can be under authority and still be incredibly strong. Jesus was meek, but he wasn't weak. He was still under authority, just like we are, but he wasn't weak. So it says with, with meekness, this is one who's under authority of being submitted to the word of God, receive his word, which is able to save your souls. And as you read his word, it inspires faith, because what's saying in the book of Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we spend time in his word, as, as we spend time reading it, And If you ever get distracted when you're reading the Bible, does anybody have their minds wandered? Read it out loud. That'll be one of the best things. Same with you, pray. If you ever pray, if you notice when you're praying, you're praying to yourself, and the next thing you know, you're thinking about something else, and you're like, how did I even get here? Pray out loud. That'll change. There's something about praying out loud and hearing yourself that allows you to stay focused. But he says, receive his word, and let it do its work inside of you. Amen? And then he goes on to say in James 1, 22 through 25, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you want to be an ineffective Christian, does anybody want to be an ineffective Christian? Let me tell you, if you want to, let me tell you how to do it. Just show up to church on Sunday and don't do anything else. Just show up to church on Sunday and don't do anything else. If you want to be ineffective, but if you want to be effective, you have to be a doer of the word. And it says that if you are If you're a uh, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. If you're just a hearer of the word, you're deceiving yourself. Because how many of you know that when you hear the word, when you grab hold of what God's actually done in your life, when you grab hold of the fact that he sent his son to die for you and he changed you on the inside, when you get a hold of the reality of that, how can you not do anything else but live for him? How can you not respond any other way but to give your life to him because he gave his life to you? And if you just come in and hear the word on Sunday so you feel better to tickle your ears so you can check it off like, "I went to church, I can't wait till I, I die one day and stand before God," and he says, "Well, done." And you go, "But I went to church You're deceiving yourself. In James 2:14 through18, which we'll spend more time looking at next week, but it says, "What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, yes, faith, but does not have works?" Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister poorly clothing and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them things for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, and show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Is James saying that that we need to have works to be saved? Absolutely not. He's not saying that works are going to save you. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It's faith in Jesus Christ. But what he is saying is that if if you have faith in Christ, it's going to do something inside of you. If you've been saved, if you've given your life to God and he's changed you on the inside, there's going to be evidence of that. He says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is that it's not the works that saves, saves me, but because I'm saved, you're going to see a difference in my life. I'm going to be a doer of the word. And faith in the Word demands that you are a doer of the Word. Matter of fact, faith always demand, demands actions, right? Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, what do you have to do? You have to speak to the mountain. When Peter was in the boat, Jesus said, uh, he says, if it's, if it's you, Lord, call me out to you. And, and he calls him out. And that wasn't enough. What well, was He had to step out of the boat into the water. That was his faith in action. Faith demands action. We have to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. Being a hearer of what God's done might make you feel warm and fuzzy, but if something's happened inside of you, how can you not do what he says to do? In matter of fact, Jesus said it himself. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And you know what? The world, even the world understands this. Even the world gets it. That's why so many Christians are viewed as being hypocritical, right? Because they get that if you really believe in this, you should uh, uh, probably do it, right? I mean, that's why we should share our faith. If we really believed that the person next to us, if they don't know Jesus Christ is going to hell, how could we not tell them about Jesus? How could we not share that with them? How could we not tell them about the love of Christ? What kind of people do we have to be to not share that with them? I mean, we would have to be pretty awful to not share eternity and everlasting life with them. You see, people understand that if you're a person who claims to believe the Bible, but there's no action that backs that up. Or more so if you have action that directly contradicts the Bible. You know, you go to church on Sunday, you're a Christian on Sunday, and you're a heathen the rest of the week. People understand that. It's, it's a, you're being a hypocrite. And the truth is, is that some people may even believe it to an extent, but if there's no, there, there's no conviction, there's no confidence, it's a wavering belief that, that that's, you know, it's like the, 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 the waves of the shore in and out. And what did, what did James say? We saw uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, if you're, uh, it's like a man who, who's unstable in all his ways. If he has a shifting mind, He's unstable. It's a wavering belief. We need people that, that believe what they're hearing and they stand on it. They, they, they walk out in it. You guys know who Penn and Teller is? They're the, the magi- they're, they're big name magicians in Las Vegas. They got the big show. One of them is a real big guy. He's got long hair. And that's, uh, I don't know which is which. But anyway, he's a pretty famous magician. And uh, he's, an, he's an atheist. He's a known atheist. He's a devout atheist. He doesn't believe in God. But there was this video I was watching because after one of his shows, a man came up to him and gave him a Bible. And he said, you know, I know you don't believe in this, but I just want you to know that God loves you and he wants the best for you. And he has a plan for your life. And he gave him the Bible. And there's a YouTube video. You can, you can look it up. I think it's Penn is the big guy. But you can look it up where he's standing there and he, he does a little, like a little, uh, uh, they call it a vault, vlog, a video log. It's just you know him speaking to the camera. And he says, you know, a man came up to me after the service. And he says, you know what? I don't believe in God. He says, I know there's not a God. But he says, I rec- I, I respect what this man does because he believes there is. And he really believes that I'm going to go to hell if I don't have this word. And he came up to me and gave it to me. This is an atheist. He he still doesn't believe in God. But he says, you know what? I respect what he did because he was living out the word. He was being a doer of the word. He he believed that, that, that he was going to go to hell. And he says, and he, and he says, if you don't, if you believe what's in this book and you don't share it with people, what kind of person are you? How much do you have to hate me to not share this with me if you believe it? And this is a devout atheist that came out, and he understood that. We need to be doers of the word, amen? And then James 1, 26 through 27. Man, I'm not even done there. Let's go back. I got more stuff. Another whole page of notes, man. You know, Jesus talked about this too, right? Matthew 13, 1 through 8, it says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat behind the sea, and great crowds gathered before him. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You see, when you hear the word, it can be stolen. It can be choked out in your life. It can be torn away from you by distractions. It can be smothered by the cares of this world. But if you let that word cultivate in your heart and produce fruit, and how do you do that? you be a doer of the word. It'll produce fruit in your lives. And that fruit is the doing of the word. The fruit in your life is the result of you actually doing something because you let that word have its due course in your life. And the truth is, is we do need to act on the Word. As Christians, as believers, we need to be doing stuff like laying hands on the sick. We need to be doing stuff like praying for our brothers and sisters. How many of you guys pray for the people in this church on a regular basis? You don't have to raise your hand. Because I know there's some of you that couldn't. But we need to be. We need to be praying for each and every one of us in this church regularly. We need to renew our mind. How do we renew our mind? We spend time in the Word. How many of you read your Bible every day? You don't have to raise your hand. But we need to be renewing our mind. We need to be speaking to the mountains. We need to be claiming and walking in victory. Because it's been given to us. It's our rights. And we need to exercise our freedom. Our freedom to live free from sin. Because we have that right. You know, before you were saved, you couldn't help but sin. You didn't have a choice. But once you got saved, you can exercise that freedom and not be caught up in all that nonsense. We need to be doers of the word. And as you know, in a small church like this, you have plenty of opportunities for that kind of stuff. We need help all the time. You see, the folly of being a hearer of the word only is that we're viewed as hypocrites. They go, would you do this? No, oh, I went to church. Then why did I just see you doing that? You just said you were a Christian. Why are you? See, the truth is, as soon as you say a Christian, people are looking at you. They're watching what you're doing. They want to see if you're the real deal. That's why it's always funny when, when uh, people will come into the church, they'll, they'll invite people. And the week before, I'll look out, and they were, they were during worship. They had their hands raised. They were singing. But then they invited somebody. And when they're invited somewhere, somebody, next thing you know, they're just kind of... And we don't realize that, but when we're doing that kind of stuff, we're actually... The, the people there might think you're crazy if you lift up your hands and you begin to sing. They might think you're weird, but they're going to realize what you have is the real deal, that you are authentic. And they would much rather see you be weird and authentic than hypocritical and saying, yeah, we love God and we go there and, then, and they see something different than what you're telling them. The scripture says that you are a light to the world, that you are a city on a hill, that you are a lamp on a lampstand put there for people to see. The problem is, is that we only think of that. We see that in the good sense, right? We're like, oh yeah, we're shining brightly for Jesus. But how many know that when you say you're a Christian, you're doing dumb stuff. Now you're putting a whole different thing on Jesus's name because they're still going to attribute what you're doing to Christians because you said you were a Christian. And that's why for so many people, we have, they have such a negative view on Christians as a whole because we've done it to ourselves. The damage that can be done to the church is so huge if we don't live according to his word. One of the funniest stories I've ever read about this was uh, in 1993. It says, the annual meeting of American Heart Association, 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers met in Atlanta to discuss, among other things, the importance of low-fat diet plays in keeping your heart healthy. Yet during meal mealtimes, they consumed fat-filled fast foods such as bacon, cheeseburgers, and fries, at about the same rate as people from other conventions. When one cardiologist was asked whether or not his partaking in high-fat meals set a bad example, he replied, not me, because I took my name tag off. See, the, the thing that we have to remember is that as soon as you tell people you're Christian, you can't take your name tag off. And they're looking to you, because you don't realize it, but there's so many people out there that want what you have. They're looking for what you have. They want to see that it's real. Because if it changed your life, maybe it could change theirs. But if it didn't change yours, as far as they can tell, why would they be interested but we want people to come to know the love of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about making a mistake. Sometimes we do dumb stuff. But just say you're sorry. That, that's enough. Usually, if you mess up in some, from someone, just say, you know what, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I can get a little irritated and uppity sometimes. And I've said stuff at work where I've been a little bit harsher than I should. And, and the best thing I can do is just go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to hurt you. You know, I didn't mean to do that. And that's usually enough. I've told the story before. I remember it's been years since I've said a cuss word and I was in a circle K and I spilled super hot coffee on myself and I just blurted out a word. And like, I actually shocked myself. I'm like, where'd that come from? I haven't said something like that in years. And my coworkers were around me and I just turned to him. I said, Hey, I'm sorry guys that I said that i I don't know where that came from. I apologize. They didn't even the thing is it's so normal to them, they didn't even realize I said it. But I apologize because that's the only thing I knew how to do. I, I messed up. It's okay to make a mistake. You're gonna you're gonna falter. Just get back up and shine for him again. Amen? Praise God. In James 1, 26 27, it says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his but deceives. Yet, yeah, but deceives his heart this person 's religion is worthless religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This word religion that he 's using here this you he thinks he is religious it 's talking about the outward practice and service of God, and it 's only used five times in the entire new testament it 's used in james one twenty six through twenty seven a few times. Acts twenty six five and then Colossians two eighteen it's usually translated as worshiping. Those are the five times this Greek word is used in the in the whole New Testament. And what he's saying here, all he's saying is, is that if someone is in service to God or of worship is God and does not bridle his tongue, he's, just, he's deceiving himself. What he's saying is that, that if you were actually in service to God or if you were living in Him, walking, in him, you wouldn't, you would take care of this stuff. You would deal with this stuff. You wouldn't just let your, your mouth flow freely. And once again, i am making clear, I'm not talking about the occasional misstep. We all do that. It's, 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 the, it's the character of who we are. It's the way we live our lives regularly. And he says, in other words, if you're not taking care of what you're saying, then your religion is worthless. What he's saying is that the things that come out of your mouth are a window to your heart. The things that you say give people evidence of who you are. And that also goes true for the things that you do. Because even if you say the right thing but do the wrong thing, people are saying something else. Matthew twelve thirty four through 35 says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You know, we can tell where stuff's coming from by the things that you say. Some of you guys have probably been annoyed with me at some times when you'll say something, and I, I correct the words that you use. I know the Bible said it a few times. I've made it clear. I think it's real important the words that we use when we talk about stuff. I believe that you should never claim healing. If you have some sort of sickness or disease, you should never say, my diabetes or my suts and such, because you're claiming that on your life. It's not yours. It wasn't supposed to be yours. It wasn't given to you by God. Therefore, stand against it. Don't claim that it's yours. When we talk about the offering, you'll never hear me say, take up an offering. I say we receive the offering because God's not taking anything from you. He should be getting it from you freely. That's why we receive it. It's your gift of love to him. I'm not taking anything from you. You don't have to give anything. But you're limiting your blessing in your life if you don't. If you want to see a financial change in your life, give. pure and undefiled religion or service or worship of God is living out of the love of Christ. It's living out of what He's done inside of you. When you recognize that He's done everything for you and that colors how you live your life completely because you realize that he has forgiven me of some of the worst things. I mean, I know the stuff that I've done. Nobody else knows. I know you, everyone's got stuff that nobody else knows about you. And you're like, this is some of the worst things that I've ever done. Yet he still loves me. And he still forgives me. So we forgive others. We live out of that love of Christ. But Wayne, Pastor Wayne, you don't know what kind of stuff they did to me. I know It's hard but you can still love them and forgive them. It doesn't mean unwise. It doesn't mean that something didn't actually happen. It doesn't mean that something hurt, but we still forgive them because he forgave us. And if we don't forgive others, then does that mean we don't really believe that Jesus forgave us? Those two go hand in hand. But if you understand and believe that Jesus forgives you, then you'll forgive others. How many times do I forgive them? How many times can they stomp on me before I have... every time they get up and are repentant? If they ask for forgiveness, then you forgive them every single time. And I say to you, even if they're not repentant, you still forgive them. You just separate yourself from them so they can't keep hurting you. But you still forgive them because your unforgiveness is not affecting them in the least bit. It's only affecting you. It's only hurting you. Everything that we do should be colored by his love for us. That's why when people come in here and they're not who we expect, or they're doing stuff that we don't, may not be entirely Christian, we still love them anyway. Because Christ loved everybody, he accepted everybody where they were. And we also live our lives recognizing what Christ has accomplished. His love for us caused him to go to the the cross for us so that we could be made brand new. And we recognize that, that stupid stuff we used to do is who we were. And thank God, because of that, we can live without guilt and without shame. We don't have to feel bad about those things. We don't have to feel guilty and let it ruin our lives and change us. We don't have to listen to the enemy saying, you know what? I know what you did. I saw those things. God can't love you because of that, because he does. And we can live and walk in victory because of the love of Christ. And we can serve him with our whole heart, without holding back because of what He's done in us. And we can share our faith with others. You can share your faith with them too. But we can share our faith with others because of what He's done in us. Because we believe. Just like you've heard the expression, if somebody won the lottery, nobody's burying it in the backyard and not telling anybody. I'll tell you what, in Jesus Christ, you've done more than win the lottery. Matter of fact, I just shared a quote from Ben Carson. On Facebook, I saw a picture of him and his quote, and he said, "I've already won the lottery. I live in America, and I know the Lord. We are so blessed here, and we should share that with others because of what Christ has done in us." Finally, he goes on to say that <clears throat> we should live ourselves unstained from the world. We need to recognize that we're not of this world. You know that that when you're born again, you're not of this world anymore? You live in this world, but you're not of this world. You're from heaven. You're part of a completely different world, a completely different kingdom as soon as you're born again. And we're not of this world. We're just sojourners in this world for a time. And compared to eternity, it's going to be a very, very short time. Compared to eternity, we don't have a whole lot of time to tell the rest of this world about Jesus. And we're to keep unstained, recognizing that we're not of this world. We don't belong here. The stuff of this world is not ours. We are a part of something far greater than anything this world could ever offer. And the problem with this world is that everything in it is just passing pleasure. It's just for a time being. It's nothing. Nothing that you can do in this world is going to, to, to fix you, to, to fill that hole. Only Jesus can do that. In 1 John 2, 15-17, it says, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, if we... If we're in love with this world and the things of this world, it contradicts with our love of the Father because they're too separate and they're they're like oil and water. They can't mix. Now, it's not to say you can't love the people of this world because God does, Jesus does, and we should as well. Matter of fact, everything that we do should be from a burning desire to share with other people because when we look at this world and we see people not going, we know they're not going to heaven, it should hurt our hearts. We should see what God sees and feel what God feels. And God doesn't want any of them to perish. It's one thing that I pray all the time is that God would give us a, a spirit of boldness and a burning desire to share with them that we could see with his eyes. And not be concerned with this world, but be concerned that these people are stuck in it unless we say something to them, unless we can share with them. Okay, so we're going to get through chapter one today. As we end today, I just want to encourage us to hear the words of Jesus' little brother. To be doers of the word. Not get caught up in this world, but recognize that we've been given everything. And as a result, how can we do anything else but serve our God, to serve Jesus? How can we do anything else I know for a fact cuz I see it all the time that when I I'm at work and I'm with people and and you know we're just going up to the uh to the counter to get coffee and I'll bay, I'll buy coffee for them and there's always okay I'll get you next time there's always this desire to repay there's always this desire to to somehow because they're thankful, they're, great. they're, they're grateful that, that I would do that for them. And, and vice versa, I'm no different, I feel the same way. You know, People buy me dinner for enough times and I'm like, well, oh, I want to buy them, I want to make it up to them. Because it's a natural reaction for us. How come we don't have that same thing burning that hot inside of us for what God's done for us? He's given us everything, how can we not give everything to Him in return? And not only that, we know that what He's given us, there's more than enough for everybody. The scripture says we have a treasure in earthen vessels. And his love doesn't run out. He's got plenty. He's got more than enough for everybody. How can we not share that with other people? And that's what having a religion that is pure and undefiled. The father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained in the world. That's to live your life right and reach out to others, make a difference in other people's lives, to care about others more than ourselves. So let's be a people who heed the words of James, Jesus' little brother and be doers of the Word. Let's not be people that just hear the Word and just go out and do whatever thing, anything else in life that we want to do. Let's be people that are doers of the Word because we recognize what He's accomplished in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.